Welcome everyone to this interview edition of Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross. Today's episode is a conversation with Alex Gruskin, one of the great content producers over at Cracked Rackets, host of the Mini Break podcast, host of the Great Shot podcast, and I wanted to bring someone on who's close to my age because the ultimate tennis showdown, Patrick Muradoglu's exhibition that turned the rules of tennis on its head, uh, the the target audience of that exhibition was the young tennis fan. That's why I thought that Alex would be the best guy uh, to get on and get his perspective. That is the second half of the podcast. The first half of the podcast is U.S. Open talk because the news today is that the U.S. Open is going to happen. There will be a 2020 U.S. Open unless something drastic changes. Just to plug the content for the rest of the week before we get into it, Tomorrow, I will fully flesh out my thoughts on the U.S. Open. It will be largely an update to last week's video. It's really hard with a guest uh, because I'm trying to make sure to get the most out of Alex that I possibly can. But in tomorrow's video, you'll know exactly where I stand um, on the U.S. Open. On Wednesday, I'll break down Grigor Dimitrov's new service motion that he showcased in the Adria Tour, and on Friday, I will do a mailbag answering your questions and your comments, etc. So without further ado, here's Alex Gruskin. We're joined once again by Alex Gruskin, the voice of Cracked Rackets, one might say, host of the Great Shot Pod and the Mini Break Podcast. Alex, thanks for doing this. I appreciate you having me back. It was a delight because you got to send me an email for this Zoom link, and Gillian is the first name. That's perfect. I uh, love that. Not quite. Gillian. No. Oh, Gillian? No. Oh, did I throw right. in an I? You threw in a little bit of an extra accent there that didn't belong. Well, always for me, I'm all about the extra I. I'm always <laughs> looking for that, so I don't think that's <laughs> at all, but it's great to be back. Always, when I got that text, it was an immediate yes. I didn't even have to think about it. And there's a lot going on in the tennis world, so I'm happy to have someone to chat about it with. This is the first Monday where there's kind of an overwhelming amount of things going on. It's been a while since I've felt that, uh, but I definitely wanted someone of our generation to talk to because the Ultimate Tennis Showdown is we are the target for this. The, the younger viewership, that demo that all of the television companies want the high Nielsen ratings for, uh, we, are, we are in that. So I want to get into UTS with you for sure. Yeah, no, I am absolutely all about that. There's so many different exhibition events going on right now as well. There's the Djokovic stuff. There's yep. what's going on in the Czech Republic. I believe they've had Kvitova and they've had, uh, you know, so many uh, different players uh, who, uh, because they happen to have a great generation of players all participating as well. And so, yeah, they're uh, both Pliskova sisters. I believe those were the right. names. The reason I rambled there, I had forgotten their names. You know, again, I've got a mic in my hand. I feel like I'm doing stand up on the spot. Um, but yeah, there's so many great exhibition events what's so fun about UTS is how different it is than everything else going on how they're using this you know dearth in tennis around the globe to try something new and with that going on world team tennis on the horizon it's a very fun yep. time to be a tennis fan so like I said happy to be here we're gonna dive into into UTS in depth for sure but let's start with a uh, a tournament that's very much not an exhibition the U.S. Open news today is that the USTA is all systems go. It's looking like this thing is going to happen. You talked to some players shortly after the news broke. What were your big takeaways from, from talking to players this morning? 
So there are a bunch of different things you have to consider in, when talking about the U.S. Open because I think the first and foremost, you have to just acknowledge the financial situation we're in, right? And of course, this global pandemic was something no one could have foreseen, uh, except for Wimbledon, who would just, they're so flush in cash. They're like, yeah, we'll throw in the extra $2 million in insurance payments per year just in case. And hey, you know, that's the theory. If you're, your parents stress planning ahead, Wimbledon planned ahead, it turned out great for them. Uh, but the urgency, if professional tennis is going to come back uh, it all comes down to you know the reason they would do it is because these players these events they need to make money for so many of these events and it's sports business journals brett mccormick has talked about it at length uh, so you can read more about this topic from him but you know for the atp 250s 12 percent of their revenue comes from television contracts i believe it's like 16 to 18 percent for the 500s i think it's in the 22 to 25 range for the masters and then you know for the grand slam it's about a third, sometimes depending on the event, a little bit higher. Well, when you start about you know talking with two events that above all else are clear they are trying to play this year, it's the two Grand Slams that haven't played yet because Wimbledon's out for that insurance coverage, but the French Open, and then as you mentioned, the U.S. Open. And scheduling-wise, the French Open tried to jump ahead of the U.S. Open. Everyone in the tennis community is like, no, 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 no. That's not how this works, French Tennis Federation. And the U.S. Open has stayed steady. But ultimately, it comes down to the dollar figures. And it, the reason the Grand Slams come first is because on TV revenue alone, they have the opportunity to generate over $150 million for their sport, for their respective organizations. And just, you know, it's not they're offering, I think it's 90% of the revenue from last year's tournament for the players in terms of prize money, um, or 90% of the prize money from last year. 95. That's where... Yeah, 95. That's where this starts, right? This is the best opportunity to play the largest, pay the largest amount of players. And so to get to your comment about what have these players said, you know, one of them, and I tweeted this out earlier, I apologize for quoting my own tweet. But they said, if you don't want to do this, you don't <laughs> like money. And it's just like, to a certain extent, and I think when going into any of these conversations, and I apologize for this rant, like we talked about beforehand, this is why we hit the hour mark in these episodes. Um, but, you know, these players want to be paid. This is their profession. This is their livelihood. These Grand Slams are the biggest opportunity, the most efficient oppor opportunity to pay the largest sum of money to the greatest amount of players. And, you know, the things they haven't announced formally yet, but what I'm hearing is that it may be $10,000 a player to all of those players that would have been in the qualifying uh, because they're going to try and not play the qualifying in order to limit how many people are at the event. Yep. And I don't think anyone would not want $10,000 in your pocket at the same time. And this is getting back to what I was saying earlier, but when having any of these conversations, safety and health of the players, of the tournament organizers, the volunteers, the participants, all of these different things are of the utmost and the most important uh, when trying to hold an event like this. Um, but you have to understand from the financial perspective to play an event like this would benefit so many players. And ultimately that's what they are. They're tennis players. They need to make money. Otherwise, like any person, if you're not making money, you're in a lot of trouble. And so that is why there's so much incentive right now to play this event. Uh, and the players seem to be just as incentivized right now as anyone else. I love that quote. If you don't want to do this, you hate money. But then you turn it around. 
some players need money more than others. And, and we're seeing that very clearly with the, the Dan Evanses and the Danielle Collins and the Noah Rubens of the world. And I don't know who you spoke to. They have one perspective. They really need that paycheck. Whereas the players over at the Adria tour, Novak Djokovic, Dominic team, Grigor Dimitrov, a little bit less desperate for that paycheck. And they've been on the fence about playing. How does, how does that, you know, I think that's uh some people are coming to their defense and others are coming down on them. I'm a little bit on the fence about it. Uh, where do you stand on this? I think ultimately it's a personal decision. And, you know, I, I appreciate, you know, I'm not going to say who gave me the money quote because they gave it right. to me off the record, of course. But <laughs> I will say on our own Cracked Rackets podcast, on our mini break podcast, we had JC Aragoni come on. And for those who don't know, JC has diabetes. He's also had other health issues in the past. And so he falls into the category of player of person who is more susceptible to being impacted by coronavirus than the average player. And, you know, I am not a medical expert. You can read so many convincing arguments from people on one side or the other, but you know, predominantly the, the majority of studies have shown if you are ages 20 to 35, if you have an athletic build, like so many of these professional athletes, you are less susceptible than the normal, you know, than the average human uh, to the uh, extreme, uh, I suppose, effects of the virus. Right. And so, you know, for the majority of players, that's their mindset. But then there are the JCs of the world, and should we not be sympathetic to his argument? Absolutely. No, we absolutely should oh, right. be sympathetic. And so I think that's what it comes down to. It's a personal decision. And, you know, for Novak Djokovic, because this is the obvious thing you have to say, we've all seen the footage now of him dancing after his tour event with Dimitrov and Zverev and all of them at the club. And it was a packed house for that event. And he was following his own country's guidelines. And so if that's, you know, if he's comfortable doing that, that's his decision. But for him to then come and criticize, you know, the U.S. Open, it's just very hypocritical. And to have a hypocritical instant like that is the last thing in the world tennis needs right now. Because you talk, again, to get back to you asked me what are the players saying a zoom call with 10 people is chaotic a zoom call with 300 people is just unproductive <laughs> and it's just like that is the theme it's it's as you know as difficult as it is to coordinate all of these different things the communication and i think no ruben and mike Cation talked about this on their podcast today at least that's what tennis twitter seems to be saying and so uh, you hear that uh, sentiment echoed elsewhere is that the communication just isn't great right now and so yes i think you know there are winners and winners and losers is the wrong word. The USTA comes out of this looking great because they have done everything in their power to ensure safety and health regulations can be followed and to put on this event as safely as possible. But yes, to your point, there are a lot of different sides of this argument and you want to point out the hypocrisy because there is some hypocrisy, but to feel like Danielle Collins and Noah Rubin versus to feel how a Dominic team or a Novak Djokovic or a Nadal or Federer feels, you can understand why they are coming from such differing viewpoints on this issue of playing this year, because for some, it's just more necessary than others. Definitely. And, and I want to echo your props to the USTA because uh, we see a lot of a lot of sports leagues fighting over money right now. And that's one thing that is very straightforward. The USTA is paying the players 95%. That's very handsome and, and very admirable um, amount of money. So at least they're not fighting over over money. They can fight over other things, but I don't think the USTA is going to budge on any of the safety protocols. And let's be real. I think what we saw from the Adria tour is the players like, you know, your Novak Djokovic's of the world. 
they aren't reluctant to go to New York because they're worried about the virus. They're worried about how uncomfortable they might be by the safety precautions. I think that's what's clear right now. Yeah, and to your point, you know, these players are itching to play. We'll talk about UTS. The field at UTS is sensational. The field at these Asia Tour events, exceptional as well. And throughout the globe, there are really fun exhibition events taking place. And so it's clear that the top players do want to play tennis. To your point, you're exactly right. Do they, for Novak Djokovic, and this is a very, you know, it's a very upper tier problem, I suppose, to have. But do you want to go through the hassle of what it would take to be medically cleared and to, you know, just go through a week that will, or two weeks that would be very uncomfortable? Not the sort of weeks, you know, Djokovic is a very particular human. Adal's a very particular human. There are people who stay, you know, to strict regimens. And that would be disrupted during this procedure. There's no denying that. And to them, is it worth playing this event or just coming back a year later? And that's a question they have to face the, the props go to the usta because they didn't worry about the top two or three players and so often when there are labor disputes or financial disputes in tennis why things never get accomplished is because the top 10 players of that generation feel so differently than everyone else the usta said we are not worrying about the top 10 players we are worried about facilitating this event and you know, they have their own financial incentives. Again, without the U.S. Open, there's no USTA. And that was another thing why players of the challenger and futures caliber rankings that I spoke to, um, they said, you know, we understand the necessity of this U.S. Open because without it, there's not going to be challenger events. There's not going to be futures events with th throughout the country next year. And so even if we don't get to play this event because they're trying to make it safer, it's still worth having the event. Yeah, and it'll happen, as you said, with the top guys or without the top guys. Uh, but let's, let's, move on. Um, let's move on to UTS here. Wait, can I flip this on you real quick? Because I just have a sure. couple of U.S. Open questions for you. Sure. Okay, reduced draw. Is that something that would diminish the, you know, I guess even reduced draw with all of the circumstances? If they play this event, is there an asterisk next to whomever wins the title? Because that's the obvious question, right? And I'm just yeah. curious, what are your thoughts given the circumstances? It, yes, I would say, but it also depends who plays. Um, but, uh, you know, it happens all the time. I think, that, I think that tennis fans are smart enough to understand what happens, when it happens, and why it happens. I don't think that we, we forget these things. So if, if the big three didn't play and Dominic Team won his first major title. I think it would be remembered as, oh, Dominic Team won that US Open, his first major title, but the big three didn't play because it was in the middle of COVID-19. I'm pretty sure everyone would have that perspective, and that's how it would be remembered. So that's fair, and it's fine if you just add that perspective, but by the way, it shouldn't diminish the accomplishment, and I just think, you know, again, what you're reminded by all of this, I think more than ever, is the vulnerability of the big three. It's that at this point of their careers, they really are nearing the end. And so, you know, for them to have these slam opportunities taken away, that's devastating. You talk about a guy like Novak Djokovic. He wants to squeak in probably five more titles to solidify his place as the greatest Grand Slam champion in the men's game be able to do that uh, just because of circumstances that are outside of his control. And so, you know, given how many other circumstances would be outside of his control, <coughs> bless you, excuse me. Sorry. No, it's, we're moving. There's dust in the air. That's why I'm in this chair for this <laughs> podcast. So I apologize for that. But 
yeah, you know, undoubtedly there will be that thought. At the same time, you know, even if they compromise the format and it's two out of three sets, even if they, you know, there are players who not just the big three on the men's side. And by the way, the prospect of the big three not playing seems to influence the men's. But let's say Serena didn't play. I don't think that would affect the women's draw. You know, if Andrescu didn't play the big, well, she didn't play the Australian Open either. Um, it really depends on the scale of top players that decide not to play the event. But outside of, you know, something like, what was it, the 1973, like Wimbledon or whatever event that was in the past where there was a big labor dispute. So like 70 of the top 80 players didn't play unless that's the scenario that we end up seeing no asterisks for me just to win this event to out to compete like this two weeks given all the circumstances if anything it's that much more impressive and of course given who i am i'm going to be cursed this is where zverev's going to get his first major title and just no one's going to count it yeah well do you have some do you have some kind of take about zverev and when he's going to win one well, he looked. Good I was just reading into that. Tour. Yeah, no, I mean, I've always said. They double faulted a lot. <clears throat> okay, well, well, again, some things never change. It's good to see we're at a place. Isn't that a comforting fact to you, Gil? The fact we're back at a place where we could talk about maybe serve <laughs> issues again? That seems delightful to me. Um, I'm totally with no, you. Yeah, it just, again, the vulnerability. Djokovic didn't look great. We haven't seen no. Nadal on the court in the while. Of course, last year he came out one Rogers Cup, one U.S. Open. It was like, see, I don't really even need to play warm-up events anymore. Um, but, no, I think, I just think all of these young guys, certainly now more than ever, I mean, watching Pass on court, he looks phenomenal it's a degree uh, of tour level but watching uh brandon nakashima throughout these different grand slam tennis tour events he's looked spectacular as well he was a young guy on a rising trajectory who clearly has seemed to have been able to continue his rise get the work in he needs to do during this time period so it's a fascinating perspective because we just won't have seen these guys compete in a you know in an environment like this in months and you know maybe they'll play cincinnati the week before a couple of weeks before in new york it sounds like that's what they're trying to do right now, certainly. Um, and that will be a little bit of a preview. Uh, but then to just to hold the Grand Slam under these circumstances, again, it's necessary because if you want tennis to continue, these events have to happen financially. And of course, again, is that being cavalier with the health risks? Yes, it is. If there's a second wave, is this event going to happen? Absolutely not. It, this event still is not 100% guaranteed to take place. Uh, but you can completely understand why professional tennis is so geared towards trying to have the majors being played because because there are financial incentives. Of course, TV ratings-wise, these are always the most viewed events of the tennis calendar. There are millions of reasons to do it, and even if there aren't mixed doubles and no juniors and no wheelchairs. And by the way, that sucks. Like that really, really sucks yep. uh, because it's there's a whole tennis economy that's continued to, that will continue to be impacted by this. You know, an event like the Atlanta 250. Are they going to be able to come back next year? Hopefully, uh, but you know, who knows? There will be 250s that can't, challengers that can't, futures events that can't. But playing this U.S. Open means there will be fewer that can't. And that's a net win for just tennis as in its whole. And so, you know, again, am I concerned about the safety and health? Absolutely. And if there's an, even an instant where they think they can't, you know, you can never guarantee it. But if there aren't strict regulations in place, don't play the event. But it does seem like the USA thinks they've gotten to a point where they are comfortable doing it. And so if they're comfortable if the players are comfortable and, it, and the players are eager, let's rock and roll. Well said. And, and you know, I, I tend to think that 
the field will not be as weak as uh, some are predicting right now. Um, because I, I do wonder if there is kind of an emotional reaction to that Zoom call. Uh, but the money's there, and I think that's really big for, uh, for, for the players in playing. How, how much money would you pay to be in the player hotel? If they were like, we need one member of the media, but we're going to do a bidding process. How much is oh, boy. analysis putting up? Are you giving your entire Syracuse shirt collection? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I might – I mean – I might sell the entire racket bag and I'll go worry about that later. Um, yeah. So no, you, I'd be like, you want my Prince graphites? You can have them. Like, what, what, right. what can I offer you? Uh, so if there are three journalists allowed, let's do this real quick. Okay. The three journalists, there are only three journalists allowed to cover the U S open. It's gotta be, and we're going to show, I'm sure a bit of an American bias here, but it's gotta be Christopher Clary, John Wertheim, and a third is not coming to me immediately. Well, you're wrong about it. First of all, I love John Wertheim. I love Christopher Clary. They're both exceptional. Oh, would I love to nominate you and I? Of course I would. Um, who would I go with? I feel like if I don't nominate myself, Dalton will be like, dude, that was a great brand you can't, opportunity. No, you can't I would say yourself. you have to throw in oh, who is – I mean, give me um, – Give, oh man, who do I? I'm I'm just trying to think of which. Uh, give me Mary Carrillo. She's in the locker room for sure. I would have okay. her there. You know, I wasn't I wasn't really going broadcasters though. I was oh, going. Oh, you're talking print journalists. Well, I don't feel like the broadcasters need to be there. They can broadcast, well, but in terms, who's going to be doing the interviewing and the press honest. conference? And and I hate saying this because I hate fueling his ego. I love him personally, but he'll. He, this is the answer he want, would want us to give. Would be if Ben's the one chosen, there will be the most uproar. And so if it's just Ben in there, people <laughs> will be so upset. They'll be like, "Why would you put Ben in there?" Blah, 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 you know the usual stuff he deals with day in day out. And so you know, for much like in this, how I suppose we can transition. Much like UTS being provocative with their scoring format, it would be very provocative to just put Ben and no one else and be like, "Hey, everyone, you have to hear about this U.S." Open through Ben's perspective, but that would also fuel his ego and be atrocious. So, give me Tumaini. Give me good pick. Uh, who comes on the podcast the most? Tumaini, Steve Weissman, man, and not Mark Lucero. Absolutely not Mark Lucero. Um, just way too much. It would be the Mark Lucero show. <laughs> maybe, right. maybe my girl Prince Pat as well. Okay. Yeah. Good picks. It's a good um, yeah, absolutely. All right. Ultimate tennis showdown. I want to start with the premise, Alex, because that's, I think it's, I think it's important to not skip over that. The premise is that tennis has a young person problem right there, right then and there. Are you buying into that premise? That's such a personal question for us, right, Gil? And this is where us being the same age and growing up through this era, we got to see the big three through its entirety. You know, I can hardly remember a time before Roger Federer and after that Nadal, Djokovic, Murray, back to Djokovic, and then, you know, just all the years that have since come. And, you know, I know we are all excited for the next gen, and the reason we are buying in is because we enjoy seeing people our age replace the players we watched grow up as champions People got so upset over the Mortaloo little speech he gave promoting UTS, talking about, you know, the average viewer is old, you know, skews older, and there's an issue with tennis with young people. 
I will say this. We hosted our first Cracked Rackets Open this weekend in Indianapolis. And the young people who were there, the environment of the event, people were just so excited to be back around the tennis court and be near it that, no, I didn't see a, young, a problem. I think all of the young people who were playing the game love it as much as ever. We were able to, you know, we had a 32-person draw, 72 people signed up, so we were able to do it safely, secure second sites, and we ended up being able to expand the draw to 64. And like the demand is clear right now that tennis is alive more than ever. Now, does it have an issue with young people? Hard to say. Slam revenue is going up. ESPN pays more and more for the rights to the US Open, the Australian Open, Wimbledon each and every year. And isn't that a good thing? Now, you know, I, again, it's 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 two separate issues. I know we're about to talk about this, but the difference between UTS as a product and what you watch on the ATP Tour, that's what I think is being conflated the most. The UTS is not meant to replace the ATP Tour, and that's why I think there's so much misplaced anger towards Patrick Mortelou. Now, trying something innovative and doing what UTS is doing is good for the game of tennis as a whole. And that's where the tennis purists probably get to, uh, you know, a little bit scared and a little bit upset. And that's where the arguments begin. Sure. Um, it, my, my take on this is uh, the, the statistics that are used to back this up. They're just not solid. Um, so, it, it's again, you're right. It is a personal question. It's very anecdotal. If you want to make it something more than anecdotal, you got to come with some data. And right now it's not really there. But on a, on a more micro level, uh, you have the idea that, oh, well, maybe tennis is too long. And uh, tennis is not the only sport that is trying to get shorter because supposedly young people have the attention span of a chipmunk. This is a, this is a widespread thing. Uh, but I'm not really sure... Like, I think people who watch tennis watch tennis. People who don't do not. I, I don't know that tennis has, like, a players towel off too much. If you just get them to stop toweling off, everyone's going to start watching tennis more. That just – I'm not seeing that at all. Okay. So it's twofold. And, again, it's just as – I just think it's so stupid for anyone to be like, I can speak for my entire generation when I say we have an exceptional attention span. Now, it's like people want to blame our generation for not watching television uh, that, like, we don't watch television events or we don't watch certain things as long – in as long of time frames as others. It's like, again, I every evidence – I've all only heard anecdotal evidence. I'm glad you said it like that because I've never seen a statistic that proves that television shows that aren't being watched it's not just 18 to 35 year olds that aren't watching them. everyone's not watching them anymore people are watching television at a you know a, le- a declining rate and guess what you know a lot of young people don't have the money to accumulate you know to be able to spend on cable boxes and all of these different things we never owned cable boxes the people who are canceling their cable are a generation older than us so like right there i just think it's a stupid framework to begin with um but what is wrong with innovation? What is wrong with some trying something new? Isn't the whole purpose of an exhibition series, which is what Ultimate Tennis Series is, it will never be, you know, they're not offering ATP points for UTS results. And by the way, another component we didn't talk about with the US Open, are they going to provide ATP points for all the players? That's a huge question. And that's something that, you know, smarter people than us will probably have to consider yeah, because- I'm, I'm hearing that well. 
Yeah, and they're here. I, well, I'm hearing they will too because, and I think I read this maybe uh, somewhere on tennis Twitter. But if they don't, that they lose seventy million in revenue from ESPN. It's like, well, we're <laughs> a lot of money, Alex. That. And so, yeah, and that they're tied to rankings points. Like, who's in that negotiations? Like, we will offer you a hundred forty, but it's only seventy if there's no ranking points. And there's like, yeah, that's a that's a fair bargaining. Like, I understand why this would mean less to you without rankings points. That's just stupid. Um, but and again, it's I promise it wasn't millennials who were doing that negotiation um but in terms of you know this product of uts trying something new i'm all for it this is an exhibition make it fun make it different and that's what all uts has ultimately done me too i and i really i really enjoyed myself we both watched it and i want to get into like the individual nooks and crannies of of uts tennis one more one more due diligence one more premise question is about player personality. That's another thing that uh, UTS aimed to correct, that we're not seeing enough players with big personalities. I agree with that. That one I'm totally on board with. But I think that a lot of that can't be forced. It has to come organically. When Andy Roddick um, at the Australian Open said, kids, make sure you graduate fourth grade so you can be a chair umpire. You can't teach that stuff. You can't teach it. Uh, so I think the personalities in the sport, I think they're allowed to be personalities. Um, and I think whether or not UTS corrects, that is the question, but I'm on board with that, that tennis could use more diverse personalities. I was having a conversation. I don't remember if it was with Dalton or with Parker Thienemann, uh, the two Thienemans, obviously, who are part of our Cracked Rackets team. But we were discussing which player do we think commands the highest appearance fee. And I imagine the reason they uh, you know, command the highest appearance fee is because they draw the highest number of people to their matches. Who is that player right now? And you know, the, outside of the big three and you know, Serena, Osaka, uh, probably Andrescu, those six players in their yep. own category right now. But who, you know, who is next? And the fact that we kept turning to, well, it's probably Nick Kyrgios, right? It's probably that is the him. person who you want in your tournament draw if you're a tournament director, whether it be for an extra, you know, extraneous reason or for the fact that when he's on, he can produce just some exceptional tennis. And, you know, what does that say about the sport? That, you know, Nick Kyrgios commands the highest appearance fee. Doesn't that speak to the fact that that is what tennis players want? They are tennis fans want they want to see that sort of personality and so you know for UTS to do the little one minute video clips to give nicknames for all the players yeah of course it's incredibly gimmicky but guess what it's an exhibition event they're allowed to be gimmicky this isn't a professional event I want to keep stressing this enough people are like you're making a mockery of tennis what is like what are you when you're we'll get into the specifics in a second but what exactly are you afraid is being made a mockery of UTS, come on! All the history the, of of UTS, you're just anyway. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, no, it's a good, it's a good match point. They played in like <laughs> on June 9th, twenty twenty. It was like, oh yeah, that four quarter battle. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's let's talk about some of the actual innovations. Um, we'll we'll go kind of thing by thing in a moment. But if I'm taking like a really broad broad scope. There's only a few things. I want to start with these things that I think could actually be implemented minus the marketing. I actually liked the marketing. I thought a lot of it was quite good. I loved it. 
Well, uh, sorry, sorry, to, but that's I, okay. I feel like that's that's where we have to start. They were all in on the fact that hey, this is going to be dramatically different, and you know there are a lot of uh, preconceived conceptions about Patrick Mortelou because of just his history with the game, and there's a lot of dislike for him, and whether that's justified or not is a different topic. But he delivered the goods. He said, hey, this is going to be funky. It's going to be different, and every rule, every decision every you know action they've taken has been drastically different uh than anything you see from a regulated professional event yeah that he did okay so before we get into what we thought was fun in the exhibition sense i kind of had a theory that if you throw a thousand ideas at the wall and 200 of them are good well then you you're glad you threw a thousand ideas at the wall so let's talk about what 200 of those ideas and I think I should scale down the numbers, were good in, in UTS. To me, I like loosening the player code of conduct. I, I just don't have that big an issue with yelling at umpires. That's a little shaky because you have a person. But yelling in general, ball abuse, racket abuse, wouldn't mind to see that loosened up um, like they did w- at the UTS. The second one is perhaps, uh, I feel less strongly about this, maybe no warm-ups uh, could also be a possibility. So those are two innovations that I thought, hey, those are not bad for real tennis. Oh, oh, you're saying so to apply to real tennis? Uh, yeah, I'm saying of all the of all the crazy ideas that oh. UTS had, there were only two that I said, you know what? Maybe these are good. Did any of UTS's innovations make you think, okay, yeah, maybe that's all right? Well, your viewers can see that. That is a Cracked Rackets logo. I think they know I am all for that. I agree. I Do you ever want someone in a crowd where there are under 10-year-old people yelling F-bombs? No, you probably don't. But guess what? If you've played tennis, that feeling is something you are most familiar with. Everyone has missed an easy ball. And I'm not going to swear here, uh, but I've been like, man – Gosh darn it, but the more explicative <laughs> version of that. Um, so, yes, I like the loosening of that. I do. <sighs> so, here's the thing with the scoring. Anytime you 15, 30, 40 game and deuce and add in and add out. And I, I completely understand the tradition of it. I completely understand the history of it. If you are a non-familiar tennis fan, though, or a non-familiar fan who's watching their first tennis match, you're like, I don't get it. Why 15? Why 30? <laughs> why, why are they? Uh, you're like, okay, it's increments of 15. And then they go from 30 to 40. And you're like, wait a second. What, like, what, what was the, that point's only worth 10? And you're like, actually, they're all only worth one. And so it, it's very easy. And it's very, you know, secondhand to those of us who are deeply ingrained in the game. And, you know, 15 to us is a synonym for one. Um, but the idea of playing point by point that's how people practice. When you go out and hit with your friend skill, and sadly, we don't, you know, in quarantine times, we, we haven't been able to hit yet. At some point, we'll get out on the court. But we would play a ground stroke game probably first. We'd be like, all right, let's warm up. And then I'd be like, yep. hey, you want to play a grounded game? And you would say yes. And I'd be like, all right, what are we playing to? 11, 15, or 21? You'd be like, well, Alex, I haven't really been doing that much cardio recently. Seven. So let's start with – Yeah. I was going to say, so let's start with 15 and see where it goes. Uh, but sure, seven as well. Um, and so I really like that aspect of it. I really like the fact that it's broken into segments. And that's how you think about it, right? If I won that first ground stroke game, you'd be like, all right, let's play another one. If, if you won that next one, we'd be like, all right, well, now we have to play a third. A lot of that makes sense to me. The time limit is interesting. The time limit is something 
because tennis, ha- you know, college tennis has gone through this. And I think when you talk to a lot of players now, and in fact, this weekend, we were talking to some players and there was this guy who played like this two and a half hour semifinal. There was this one 20 deuce game. And he's like, man, we should have just played no ad score. Um, and there is something to the finality of no ad. And there is something to a quicker pace of match, but a time limit per set. I don't know if I love that. I like a point finale, you know, a final point, like getting to six games, or if you wanted to play game, you know, sets to 21. Uh, I get that. I don't love the regimented, you know, up to, you know, you have 12 minutes to complete the quarter or whatever it is. Yeah. I mean, I think, one of the fundamental things in tennis is you have to win the last point. Uh, you can't run out the clock. So that's something that's unique to baseball and, and tennis, um, I think, are the two main sports where there's no clock. Um, you know, it makes it difficult in some cases where, like, if you're a broadcaster, for example, you don't know if the match is going to be an hour or three hours. And, you know, but that's just kind of how it is. The, so the time limit was all about, of course, speeding the game up, as I mentioned earlier. But one thing that uh, was interesting was a 15-second um, shot clock, serve clock. I don't know why people call it shot clock, but people seem to be <laughs> calling it a shot clock. Um, and that left a really big imprint on UTS. It was fun for the time being, but I think major benefit to big servers. You can't get high-quality tennis. Like, like for example... The points that we got, most recent match that comes to mind, Nadal Medvedev U.S. Open final, you can't have that if there's only 15 seconds between serves. What do you think of the 15-second uh, serve clock? Probably a little low. I agree with you. That's tough. Um, but, the, but the same thing is the rate of play. There are players who just move so slowly, and you're just like, what are you doing? And I know that's such a, again, it's such a minute problem, but you talk about the commercial uh, viability of the game. Those are the little things. People are sick of watching, you know, whether it's, you know, the countless, you know, the play clocks in football or the countless flags and, uh, or the, you know, countless free throws in basketball, whatever it may be, and all these different uh, things that, that people don't want that they want constant rate of play they want to see the action moving and moving and moving and fluid and tennis does have the ability to be a fluid product because it goes point after point after point and i agree 15 probably a little bit low you know you would ideally go for 30 seconds but again that's because there's a shortened condensed format the reason it's 15 points is so you can you know speed things up ensure x amount of points are played in each segmented quarter now in terms of like the power-ups Again, this is where it's too gimmicky to do in professional tennis because each point in professional tennis can only be worth one point. It would be probably ridiculous to say, hey, this is worth three. Well, at the same time, so I'm not a big baseball guy, but I, I, I listen to sports. I'm just, again, I'm, I'm a nerd. I had two brothers. Well, sports part of my life, so I'm tangentially familiar with baseball. And I know a conversation around that is, should the shift be banned? Because so many hitters have specialized, right? And the shift sort of takes that specialization out of the game. And, you know, it's also the fact that why isn't there more of a diversity in hitting styles? Nowadays, it's strikeouts, it's home runs, it's, you know, you're chasing statistics as opposed to that blooper shot or that line drive and stealing bases and all of the fundamentals, right, that an old generation of baseball Baseball fans used to love and it's kind of like well if you think tennis is getting too monotonous if you think there are too many baseline grinders if you incentivize hey if you serve in volley that's worth two points hey if you do this if you win the shot in under two shots that's worth two points i see the appeal 
I just don't think the players would ever buy into it. They would never agree to it ever. And so for professional level events, couldn't do it. For an exhibition style event, I don't know why anyone wouldn't be a fan. Like, oh, I can't follow along the scoring. It's too complicated. Guess what? It's 2020. There's a scoreboard on the screen, buddy. Like, you're going to be very well versed in what's going on in the match. Yeah, I agree. It, it was it's so much fun for an exhibition, but the the whole UTS cards thing, I think anyone would agree, is way over the top. It it just it brings into this element of strategy where it's like, oh, like you know, if if players really did this for a while, they would learn to really game the system. Um, they would learn to to do things that were kind of not cheating, but like for example players would start intentionally missing first serves uh, to try to run out the clock. Players would start arguing with the chair umpire to stop the clock, which is actually a rule written in the, in the rule book. And I think uh, the same goes for UTS cards. I mean, it would just, it takes the purity out of the game, but for exhibition, it's fun. We agree there. So I agree with exhibition. It's ecstatic. Here's the thing. Whenever people say purity of the game, I will tend to swear at them. And again, I'm not going to do that to you, Gil, ever. But it's just like purity of the game to me is busha because you know what is what is pure about tennis? It's the shot. I'll explain the athleticism. Okay, go for it, please. Okay, there are a couple sacred things about tennis. Like, and that's it. And I'm all for again. I'm normally not on the traditionalist side of these arguments, but one is you win by two. In general, in general terms, right? One is you can't run out the clock. Hold on, one win is, by two. What about a tiebreaker? You got to win by two. So you, oh, within the tiebreaker. Okay, okay. Yeah. I see. I see. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. I can accept that. I like that. Yes. And by the way, the sudden death in UTS when it goes overtime, if you split the two quarters, is the first player to win two points in a row. Yes. I love that. And then the third thing, which is like purity of the game, and that this is being challenged too, is you got to figure it out yourself. You don't get a coach. Like these are some of the principles of tennis. Like this is the sport at the, at the most basic level. Um, and I think that these things are worth protecting. The coaching thing I disagree with because I want to see the best product at all times. And it, it beho- now the thing is, do you want to talk about again, is there going to be differentiation if you can afford the better coaches? Are you going to have an inherent advantage against players who can't afford to have coaches in their box? That's, I suppose, its own conversation. That's not but it idea, for me. Uh, yeah, but no, no, no. But the idea of seeing players you know, who can't solve it have their coach come to them and say, hey, this, 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 turn it around. Mentally, I need you to lock in. And if you get a better performance out of it, wouldn't seeing a player talk to their coach, come back and then deliver the goods and then see the other player have to adjust as well. Isn't that creating an inherently better product for everyone? If, if more players are playing better, more frequently because they have that resource available to them, doesn't that make the sport more enjoyable? I mean, that is a loaded question, but I think it's, no, I, I think I think it happens already. But I think when it happens, it's oh wow, Nadal is a great problem solver, and it's not like oh like great advice by Carlos Moya. And look, there there are other sports where where it works. Um, I just think boxing exactly. Any well, any fight if you've sport. Been pu- if you've been punched in the face, you're like <laughs> I can't think an adjustment. Like yeah. you got to me, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, I I get the entertainment value. I thought that there was a very entertaining back and forth between Tsitsipas and his father today where where Apostolos said, 
look, you got to play, be aggressive, take the ball on the rise, come to net. And Tsitsipas is like, so smack it. <laughs> and Apostle's, <laughs> Apostle's like, no, don't smack it. And Tsitsipas is like, all right, smack it. And then left. <laughs> that dynamic stuff, like, that's great. Um, but normally you don't get that. I am all for, like, interview the coach. Let the broadcasters interview the coaches between sets and all that. But to me, it's tennis. You solve your own problem. What about, uh, would, it, would it float your boat if the players had to do interviews at changeovers between sets? Ooh. Yes. I mean, so uh, it would float my boat. And I do think we, it's worth mentioning one more time, differentiating between an ex- exhibition and a pro match. And what I think is getting lost, and I, I tend to do this more frequently than most, and you know, we're going to name drop a little bit here. I was chatting with uh, UTS play-by-play commentator for Tennis Channel, Steve Weissman, earlier today. And I'm fortunate enough to be able to call him a friend. And he was like, so what do you think of the format? And I was like, well, I can't really answer that question because I love tennis. Like, it it doesn't matter if it's a tiebreaker. It doesn't matter if it's first to one point. It doesn't matter if it's three out of five sets. It doesn't matter what the format is. If it's live tennis, I'm watching it. And so I am not the target audience. It all works on me. The question is, is this format more appealing to a non-standard tennis watcher than it would be to someone else? And when I think about it, it's hard not to say yes. It's hard not to say that just the the ability for there to be so many differing results, the ability for parody, the ability for, as you mentioned, the humorous interactions between um, the coach and player, the humorous interactions between player and player, listening to a player unfiltered be after a set, as you just mentioned there, be like, yeah, that I sucked there. That one was rough. Like, I tanked that one. It was a really tough second set. I knew I needed more energy if I was going to go the distance, so I tanked the third. Um, that would be fascinating as a fan. And I would be all in on that as a product. So, okay. I don't know. I don't know. So, so I put up a Twitter poll. Um, okay. I, I attached a video of essentially it was um, Alexi Popperin uh, beating the buzzer on Feliciano you mean the Lopez. Sniper? Oh, the sniper. The sniper, oh, the sniper oh, right. Course. You know who I'm talking First, about now? Yeah, but who's – Not... I've never heard of this Feliciano guy. What's his name? Is it El Torero? <laughs> I hope I didn't like curse in Spanish just there. Yeah, that sounds Who knows? about right to me. Sounds yeah. about right. Uh, and I, I know a little Spanish, but whatever Feliciano's El nickname Torero. is. That's it. Yeah. No, no. It's with the T. The okay. Torero. Yeah, the Torero. Right. I think it's the Torero. Yeah. Um, I don't know what that means. But um, anyway, so I attached this video of uh, the sniper basically beating the buzzer on El Torero. And um, I said, look, I'd love to hear from my non-tennis followers on this. Would you be more likely to watch tennis if there were four 10-minute quarters? I put it to the poll. What do you think the result was? I said, please don't vote if you like tennis. Oh, oh, oh. But the thing is, tennis fans are known to, you know, Shade, be shady with some line calls. So they definitely participated a little bit in that poll. Uh, so if tennis fans participated, it'd be an overwhelming no. In non-tennis fans, I'm going to say they said 60-40, they would. Okay, so... I didn't cheat, I swear. Uh, no, I'm, I believe you. Okay, so I, I got full disclosure. Let's go full 29 votes on this. <laughs> um, <laughs> and 93% of people said no. They said no. They said no. 
the question is in that 93 percent, is there anything they could do that would have them be watching tennis i i really don't think so well that's an issue isn't it uh yes and no look do you know who gets people to watch tennis people players it's a star-driven sport and look, does removing the code of conduct, does, does doing stuff like that, is that going to make players all of a sudden have personality? No, not really. You think if you let Rafa Nadal smash rackets, he's going to be like, oh, sweet. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> so I think this stuff just needs to happen organically. And while we need to do everything we can to market the sport as best as possible, that needs to, we need to step it up on, on the marketing. And, um, well, whoever you know, did things the, like the that. Nickname, whoever did the nickname for UTS, I don't know if they deserve a raise or a pay cut. It's one or the other because, <laughs> you know, like Luca Pui, the French flair, or like the freaking, the virtuoso for Richard Gasquet, listening to Steve Weissman repeatedly call him the virtuoso was the highlight of my month. Like, <laughs> it was, other than this, of course. Um, but it, it's just like, it's a great idea. Like it's, there's nothing wrong with having fun. And again, calling Alexi Popper in the sniper is absurd on so many levels. Like there's just, it's just not a thing. Like, Oh, cause his forehand, he snipes it down the line. Like that, that it doesn't work for me. Like Gasquet, the virtuoso again, that works. And, um, but the concept a hundred percent works like, yeah, it's cheesy, but guess what? They're having fun with it. And that's the clear thing is they are a hundred percent in on the, the fun of it. The players are in on it. The players clearly like the sudden death aspect. You know, you, we've, I think we've had this discussion before, but you know, so many people were like, oh, I, I hate a fifth set tiebreaker. Why are they doing that? Like, I hope that you turned off your TV then when it was 12 all between Djokovic and Federer, because you hate that. Right. So turn it off. It's going to ruin things for you. But like it didn't. Everyone watched it. It was dramatic. It was delightful. Seeing these sudden death endings to quarters. Yes, the tank happened, but it was really fun. Uh, seeing just the the different atmosphere for these players, the different bonuses, the different power ups or whatever. It's all very fun, and that that's why I think ultimately ultimate tennis series is a win because they wanted to have fun. They wanted to do something different and they've succeeded in both of those things. I agree. And I had fun as well. Um, I just think, no, I just think um, they're, uh, they are not focusing on all of the correct problems to fix. I, I really, I don't buy into the, the speed of the game thing. Um, I look at football. It's the most popular sport in the United States of America. The ball is in play for uh, 15 to 18 minutes. It is a three and a half hour product. Okay. That is the most popular sport in America. Um, But again, full credit to UTS, being creative, trying new things. Um, And if, if we're talking about an exhibition, guess what? If UTS was normal, we might be talking about the Adria tour on this pod. What were we talking about? Not the Adria tour. It's true. Very, very good point. I will say this for uh, football. Uh, there are differing rules. There are different plays. There are differing scenarios. And all of those things factor in at different times. Tennis can get a little bit monotonous. It's not, you know, okay. I would say football is a more fluid pro- – well, I don't know about that, but I would say football incorporates more variety on a play-by-play basis than tennis probably does. In tennis, there's, you know, so frequently there's a serve, there's a forehand, that's the point. Uh, And it's just repeat, 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 repeat. Uh, This idea of 
hey, this guy, you know, it's every, the quickness of it's two serves instead of four. And then it's like, actually, I'm going to use my power up here, still four. Actually, you only get one serve for this time period. One, for tennis players, I think that's very uh, relatable because I can count, tell you countless drills where it's like, hey, winners are worth three. Hey, you only get one serve in this. Hey, we're playing yep. no bounce doubles. Like those are things for tennis players you can hold on to. Those are things as other as non-tennis playing fans that you can enjoy. And I think there's a place for this in the game. Now, I agree with you. Does it compromise the integrity of the tradition of the slams if you become this funky at them? Yes. But is it a net positive for the game if you get first-time fans to see this product? They say, wow, I really enjoy tennis. What else is there to the sport? And you say, well, look at how it's played professionally. I think there's a place for both in the game of tennis right now. I don't know if there's money for both, and that's a separate issue. But in terms of from a fan enjoyment perspective, both should definitely exist. And I'm not trying to say you disagree with that because I think you very much do agree with that. And I think that's my takeaway from this is, I didn't realize how much I would enjoy how different this was than normal tennis until I actually watched it. Yeah. And uh, so I think your take is, is that this is that was a really... lot of takes. I don't, I have takes, never just no. takes. It's always <laughs> plural. <laughs> Allow me to, t- I'm going to attempt to summarize your overarching take. Okay. My mother's um, been doing that for 24 years. Go for it. <laughs> you, uh, you really don't want you're trying to separate these two and say look we don't need to look for what um parts of uts we should incorporate into the other side of the game you you think look there's a there's b a has nothing to do with b but there might be a place for b is there any UTS rule? Is there any UTS First of all, rule by the that way, you like enough to put in tennis? By the way, you just did what I did for 30 minutes in 15 seconds. So, like, <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Yeah, you nailed that there. My brother, I got into an argument, and I was home for my little brother's graduation. And, um, you know, again, I think I might have told the story on a podcast. And if you listen to our Crack Records podcast, I apologize for repeating myself. Um, but... I was arguing with something with my older brother. I don't even remember what it was. It might have been tennis related. It might have been other related. I, uh, <laughs> I actually, I remember exactly what it was. I'm not going to get it. was about the term virtue signaling and what that term means. And don't worry, we're not going to get into that right now. But I, I made this point. He goes, Alex, there are apples and there are grapes. I'm talking about apples. You're talking about grapes. And, I, and then the best was my cousin and him were arguing about something later on in the night. And he goes, Emily, there are apples and there are oranges. And he's like, you're talking. And I was like, well, I, but I was grapes. I was like, why is she oranges? I was like, this is ridiculous. Um, anyways, that, I hate to simpli- simplify it down to that because, of course, if there's an enjoyable product going on in tennis, it should be incorporated as frequently as possible. And to demand a professional tennis player to meet the demands of the ATP, WTA, ITF tour, to meet the demands of a Laver Cup or whatever's going on in Charleston or you know, to meet the demands of then playing world team tennis and UTS as well. I don't know if the economy in tennis is there for all of those things. So you're right. The bigger focus should be incorporating the best parts of all aspects and trying to ingrain them into one product. I guess the truth is I haven't figured out exactly the way for them to do that. I know for a fact, though, that I do think there is a place for both right now in tennis and you're right i don't think there's an overlap yet um 
but but it's getting more and more interesting. You know, I, I think just seeing the incorporation of team events in events like this, what we're starting to learn is maybe you don't need the traditional format. And again, that we started this podcast with or this conversation with the slams, them generating the most revenue. Clearly, that right now is what drives interest in tennis. But it will be – the thing is, as you, you said earlier, we have anecdotal evidence. We don't have enough quantifiable data yet to show you know, whether UTS should be viewed, uh, viewed, whether world team tennis should be viewed as a potential replacement. Like it's way too early to say any of that. Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. Um, it's, it's nuanced. People are going to need to figure it out. But I think, I think we've hit it enough where I, I – Apples and grapes. Apples, apples, grapes. Apples and grapes. Oranges, cantaloupe. Now, there is such thing as a grapple if you go to the supermarket. <laughs> well, I feel like if we're doing tennis, it's strawberries and cream, right? Of course. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Yeah, the blueberries um, and it, it's a Kalamazoo class. Again, it, yeah. whatever. Yes, I agree. I'm mixed metaphors. Yeah. So, uh, Alex, thanks, thanks for doing this for an hour. You're holding your microphone. You have no mic stand, but you're a trooper. You're, you're up there. You're, is your arm tired? No, I'm actually doing 30 minutes at the Broomstick Bar and Grill uh, on 38th Street with the same <laughs> microphone afterwards. So, you know, 15 minutes on the Greek God, the Rebel, and the Virtuoso. So I have all of the material I need. Thanks for coming on. This was fun. Always a pleasure, Gil. Take care.